Today on Voyager's Journeys, we're going to meet a Voyager who's worked on hardware that millions, even billions of us use. The early iPhone, Beats headphones, the Google Pixelbook. Steve Jacobs obsesses over details like how to make the perfect laptop hinge. How do we make sure that the laptop lid, when you lift it, it doesn't droop back down, it doesn't lift the bottom of the laptop, it's smooth, the sound is good, the cables inside the laptop hinge have enough clearance to rotate and move, just all the little detailed things that most people would never think of. I'm David Rowan, welcoming you to Voyager's Journeys, the podcast where we meet some of the impact-driven people inside the Voyager's community. Today, I want you to meet Steve Jacobs. Steve builds things. He's built things that you and I use, and he's taken some tough decisions on making products really work so people love them. We're going to talk about some of those products and what Steve has learned. But first, Steve, welcome to Voyager's Journeys. Thanks, David. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, when I mention products that people use, just talk us through a couple of the hardware products that you have been involved in helping shape. Sure. And I'll start by saying Steve doesn't build things. Teams build things. And Steve's lucky to be on teams. <laughs> Some of those teams include early kind of iPod, iPhone teams, Apple, a lot of the early Beats and Nest and GoPro products as they were. Uh, kind of just starting to introduce that class of connected product uh, into our lives. Uh, a lot of the early laptop work that various companies, including HP and Google, uh, have done tablets for Amazon. It was kind of late uh, 2000s, early 2010s, and a lot of these consumer electronic products were starting to come to fruition. And uh, I got lucky, right place, right time, great teams, and got to see some interesting stuff. But you also had skills that the teams needed. What is it specifically that you do as part of those teams developing some of these key consumer products? Yeah, so my background is in hardware engineering. I did uh, mechanical engineering and material science undergrad and grad, both at Berkeley and, and Stanford. And so when I started my career, I was really focused on product design. And back then, product design was mechanical engineering for consumer products. It was the, the oddball medical device or robotics product, but most of the stuff I worked on was consumer. Uh, and usually it was uh, a company that wanted to develop some new type of product in a new space, uh, leveraging advances in microprocessing and battery uh, chemistries and, and just kind of miniaturization of sensors and different components that made this wave of consumer electronics products that we saw in the late thousands and early 2010s possible. And so I would uh, help design those, help build those. And were you one of those kids who at home would take apart the family lawnmower to see how it works? How did you become obsessed with product engineering? I was actually probably the kid who would go around and offer to mow people's lawns for $5 on the weekends. I was always kind of entrepreneurial in that way. I did like building things. I was you know, very young, very into Legos, Connects. And my dad had a wood shop and we would just go out there and build our own toys as kids, tree houses, that sort of thing. So I always trended towards architecture and engineering. In high school and even middle school, I would find ways to weave it in. If it wasn't a school project, it was like building podiums for teachers who didn't have it in their budget to buy them. And what I realized as I was getting ready to go to college was uh, what made me happy was building things, handing them to people, and then watching them smile. And the thought of making things that enrich other people's lives 
I found very fulfilling. So originally I was going to do architecture. I switched last minute to mechanical engineering. And, and the reason I wanted to start my career with a lot of these consumer electronics products, especially the, the new ones, the prospect of building something no one had had before and handing it to them and then watching them go, wow, this is, this is really cool. And uh, the chance to be a part of teams doing that was irresistible. As a kid, before you went through the training at university, were there any products that you remember building? The, the ones that stand out to me are the simple ones. Uh, like I mentioned, the podiums for teachers. Like I actually uh, did that and it stood out to me because when I go back and, and visit my old teachers, that's the thing that they point to. I step in their class and wave and they go, hey, this podium that I'm using, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years later, that's the, the dude who built it. And like the highest joy to effort ratio of anything I've ever done. I, I didn't have the background of having done some super sophisticated project in the garage, I was always really focused on like, what's the thing I can do today, not for the science of it, but to bring people joy in a lasting and meaningful way. And sometimes those were very simple. But you didn't go into the podium business. Somehow you found yourself <laughs> in Cupertino at a company called Apple. Talk us through how you got to Apple and what jobs you were given in this highly secretive company. There was a career fair at, at UC Berkeley. I think I was a junior in college. And there were some folks there that I'd never met. And I went over and I said, hey, I'm Steve. Here's my resume. You know, I don't know <laughs> what you do. But the previous summer, I had had an internship at Lockheed Martin uh, in the space systems company. And one of the women I had worked with, her husband worked in Apple and joined us on this kind of field trip to the Nike missile sites, which is a uh, like defense site that Lockheed was involved with. And I remember being in the, the van with him, and he's like, oh, I work at Apple. I'm like, oh, what do you do, design hard drives? Like, what could anyone possibly do there? And then he went into the interesting stuff they did, and I was like, oh, Apple company is kind of interesting. There's, like, I can, I, I now understand what someone with my skill set has to contribute at a company like this. So I, I walked up, handed a career fair representative my resume, and they looked at it and go, hey, why don't you come over here, took me into this room, and uh, a gentleman was there who grilled me intensely for about I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour about what is the Martin Siddick transformation temperature of steel when you quench it, you know, very specific questions. And uh, I answered them <laughs> and I was like, hey, you should, you should come work for us. And so uh, he ended up being director and then VP of, of iPhone and iPod at, at Apple. And my internship was reporting to him. It was heavy in material science around, you know, should we use beryllium copper springs for the antenna when they're press fit into aluminum pins, or is that going to cause a corrosion problem and when some sweat wicks in there, whatever the case might be, uh, all the way to kind of novel industrial design and, and mechanical engineering problems. What should the design of this iPod accessory look like and how should it attach kind of a type of problem? So it varied, but it was neat because I got to see a lot and work with a lot of smart people and kind of start to understand how these industries function and the role that I could play uh, within them. So you arrived at Apple, which didn't yet have the iPhone. Tell us what you were working on. Well, <laughs> as, as everyone knows, specifics sometimes are outside of what we can talk about in public forums. But it, it was all centered around future iPods, future iPhones, things that have since been released. Some of the, the prototypes and the mechanisms, you know, weren't necessarily included that came down the line, but 
I think at the time, the products that came out subsequent to my, my first stint there was the original iPhone, the iPod Touch, I think it was first generation, and the Nano, I believe, was, was the, the iPod that came out that I was working with folks on. Super interesting products, all very different. A lot of material science, a lot of manufacturing, a lot of mechanical engineering, and a good bit of, of design. Actually going into the ID lab and sitting with the design team and kind of figuring out what was possible and seeing how they went through that formative process. I remember the first iPhone solved so many physical problems, how you can get so much computing power into a small space with a big enough battery how you could make a touchscreen um, function at that size. What was the hardest problem that you were involved in helping solve? So Apple has a lot of extremely specialized teams who are obviously very good at the, the specific thing that they focus on. I was on the, the product design team, which was generally responsible for how do you take all the inputs from the battery team and the display team and the touch team and the design team, you know, software input, silicon, and, and package the whole thing together in a seamless and meaningful way. So a lot of the, the interesting problems that I worked on, not only at Apple, but at, at most of the companies and, and on most of the products that I've worked on, are these integration challenges. Some memorable ones for me are or were, how do you integrate uh, the vibrator in a way that makes a pleasant sound, but is also, you can feel it and it, it signals the right sensation to the user, but it's not annoying. There's um, at the time, a confluence of factors that made it pretty challenging to find the right materials and the right integration path for that. Another one that really stood out to me on a, a, an iPod, we have dissimilar metals that are in contact directly. You have ample opportunity for corrosion. And especially in a product that, if you remember, they had those armbands. It was designed to be worn you know, during exercise in a variety of environments. How do you make sure that there isn't corrosion within the products themselves? And Apple obviously being very dedicated to building only the highest quality products, went to great lengths to check for that. And I remember I said, hey, I just took a class in this, to be honest. <laughs> I was proud. I was like, oh, I just learned about this. You know, if we put you know, beryllium copper next to aluminum, next to steel, and they're all mechanically interconnected such that electrons can travel between them and somehow there is ingress of a saline solution, such as sweat, right? Where there is kind of uh, conductivity within that solution, right? Not the distilled pure water, but actual real life salty liquid. We could see corrosion within the product. And, you know, have we checked for that? And so I went to the real lab and got a whole bunch of, you know, their, their sweat solution and, we tested the products and I won't go into the details of the outcome, but you know, we learned a lot from it and it ended up having an, an impact on the design of the final product to ensure that when someone went running with this thing and sweat were to wick in there, it wouldn't negatively affect the experience of the user. And that, that really took the theory and grounded it for me. It, it helped me connect, oh, the stuff they're teaching me in school, here's one example of how I could actually apply it in a way that my dad running with this product like is going to experience benefit from it's a famously secretive siloed company apple presumably you didn't know everything that other people working on the iphone were actually working on no of course actually that's one of the big reasons i decided to 
work elsewhere after that initial stint, you were very siloed. And there's good reason for it, but you know, on a personal level, it, it prevents you from learning about other aspects of the product and the company. Did you come across Mr. Jobs? Did he shout at you at any time? <laughs> Not at me personally. I, I, I was in a few rooms and got to bear witness to a few meetings, some calm, some less calm. Interesting to watch, but never the subject myself. Thankfully. And did you have any idea at the time that the iPhone was going to be so transformative to so many industries and cultures? No. I'd be lying if I said that I did. I mean, I I thought the product was good. I thought it made sense. I understood it. I I thought it would be successful. I'm a shareholder in Apple, right? I believe in the products that they were making. And I told my friends, you know, hey, this is a cool thing. You should check it out. But I didn't understand the bigger picture, the bigger pieces and the play that was, was unfolding right in front of me. What a brilliant early start to a career. So how did you follow that? What happened after iPhone? So when I left Apple, I went to grad school at Stanford and I realized that there's some amazing consultancies out there, engineering and design consultancies, not like business consultancies. And, you know, whenever problems come up that any company has trouble solving, you, you look for other opinions. And some of these consultancies were really well-renowned for being the best at that. So when I went back to school, I reached out to a few of them that I was particularly impressed by and said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd love to help in any way that I can. And I got lucky. So first at Ammunition Group, which is Robert Bruner's design consultancy in San Francisco, he founded Apple's ID team and, if I'm not mistaken, hired Johnny Ive, who was the principal at Lunar and Pentagram, really brilliant designer. And I think they were five or seven people at the time. And I sent him an email after reading a Business Week article and was like, hey, this sounds super cool. Tell me what I can do. Ended up joining and got to work on phenomenally interesting products like the original Beats headphones and a number of other things. And uh, did that for a few years and just got exposure to a lot of stuff and got to see how different companies worked and, you know, how different the genesis of different types of products and got a feel for what was similar when designing different types of products and what was entirely different and just different work styles of different either designers or engineers. And then after being there for a few years, one of the engineering firms that we partnered with a lot at this design studio said, Hey, could we get some of your time? We, we have some interesting projects. We need some help. We've enjoyed working with you. It doesn't have to be full time. We know you're still in school. We know you have a thing at ammunition. And it was mutual. I, I had told them, I love what you're doing. If there's ever a chance, let me know. I ended up working there. Alloy was the name. And they were these uh, tremendously talented mechanical engineers. Very early, I remember you know, we, we laid the carpet together on their first office and got to work on a bunch of projects. And then finally, when I graduated from Stanford, I reached out and chatted with the founder of Function Engineering, one of the most brilliant product designers and mechanical engineers I've worked with. He offered me an opportunity to come work with his outfit, Function Engineering in Palo Alto. I was maybe 10 years younger than the next youngest person in that office. Everyone there was brilliant and specialized in these different areas. And it was just my opportunity to work with the best and learn from the best. And that's always what I would kind of gear towards is who do I think is the best at this and how can I get close to them and learn from them and better myself as quickly as possible. 
So you've worked on some pretty iconic mainstream products, Beats, headphones, the Google laptops. Which is the project that you think you learned the most working on and maybe you achieved something that you didn't think necessarily was going to be achievable? Well, I definitely learned the most at Olio at my startup. If I were to leave that one aside for a second and just focus on products I made for other companies, there was an interesting product I worked on, and it ended up cascading to a number of products that I worked on centered around laptops and hinges for laptops. And how do you give the user the best experience on a laptop hinge? And, and there were some related projects that I worked on while I was at Function where I just got to see some brilliant engineers create amazing models and prototypes and uh, simulations, FEA analysis, just all these different ways to explore how do we make sure that the laptop lid, when you lift it, it doesn't droop back down, it doesn't lift the bottom of the laptop, it's smooth, the sound is good, the cables inside the laptop hinge have enough clearance to rotate and move, just all the little detailed things that most people would never think of, but you just keep going layer after layer and seeing the result of that and just how the experience of using that laptop day to day was just so far beyond the products that never considered those factors. That was a transformative moment for me. And if you do it across every product and every aspect of every product that you have the time to do it for, but that was a very specific example that stuck with me because it was a problem that I <laughs> experienced myself. And it was just, it was such a Swiss watchmaking moment of attention to detail and obsession with perfection. And it ended up percolating a lot of products that I worked on, even as I transitioned out of product design and into product management, how you write product requirements and the focus on the user when you're writing user stories. And even in software, in addition to hardware, just really that dedication to digging down into the depths of detail and making sure that you're considering everything it probably stemmed from those early moments in the prototyping lab, making laptop hinges. So talking about Swiss watch design, you moved into the smartwatch business. You founded and ran a company called Olio Devices that was fairly early in the wearables field. You, you were making handmade smartwatches. At one stage, I think you had about 100 people working for the company. In total, yes, they weren't all full-time. But yeah, it, it ended up being quite a few people working on the product. What was it like being the boss, running the business, being the entrepreneur, but as well as having a say in the product design? It's, I, I learned a lot. It was the best job I've ever had. Starting it where we did, where it was me and three other friends, now, now some of my closest friends, sitting in a box, probably a third of the size of most people's bedrooms with little bubble windows in a co-working space and actually designing the product in the beginning together. That was familiar territory. It was stuff I had done. As you start to grow and you realize, okay, now we've made a prototype. I need to spend time raising funding and hiring people. I need other people who are going to keep building this and, and we can't let ourselves diverge. We have to stay aligned. So we need people to help teams stay aligned. Okay. We're going to need customer support and finance and legal and 
you know, business development. We have to work with partners to sell it. We have to figure out how we're going to refurbish it, where we're going to warehouse it, international logistics. As that scope starts to grow, very quickly I start to realize all the stuff that I didn't know and all the things that, you know, were important. And luckily I enjoy that. I enjoy learning. So the opportunity to quickly start to absorb this stuff and make sense of it, build a mental model and execute effectively and hire people that knew way more than I did and give them the leash to, to do good work and watch them and learn, that, that was tremendously rewarding and, and exciting. All of a sudden, I realized what a privileged life it is to be at a large company where you have these support systems and what the value is of those and why they got built that way. So it was a lesson not only in building and delivering interesting products and the product we made, I, hats off to the team with the resources we had, but it was also a lesson in building companies and building teams and building organizations. And you also achieved what many entrepreneurs try but fail to achieve, which is a successful exit. The company was acquired by Flex. And then as you were continuing to live the dream, you went to work for all the other companies. So you had time at Google working on the first generation Pixel book and the second generation Pixel book Go. And then you went to Facebook and you worked on Portal TV. Was that yeah. a very different culture at Facebook? All these companies had very different cultures, yes. And it was like, if it's not clear by now, you love aspects of some, you don't love aspects of some, but you can learn from all of them. There's strengths and weaknesses to all of them. Facebook was unique in many ways. Some things I really respected, some things I struggled with. But yeah, I don't regret having gone there. I think it was an exciting team to be a part of. But you didn't stay very long, I think, less than a year. And just to update, now you are in Germany. You came to Europe. Why did you move to the old world? So back when I was at Google, actually, before I, I was recruited to Facebook, my partner and I would talk about what do we want to do before we have kids and where do we want to raise kids? And the opportunity at Facebook came up and it was exciting and, and we decided to take it. But then come December of 2019, we said, hey, time is finite and it's racing past us at an ever increasing pace. What do we want to make sure we do before we run out of it? And one thing that had been coming up through the eight-year duration of our relationship was living in other places and being a part of other cultures, not visiting and not being a tourist, but really getting out of our comfort zone. I personally was born and raised and spent my whole life in the Bay Area. It's a wonderful place. And I feel very privileged, but it's still a bubble. And you don't, <laughs> you're a fish in water until you leave. So I left Facebook and we moved to Germany uh, a few months later. We had been searching for which city we wanted, kind of January, February, and then meant to move in April. COVID hit, ended up moving in July. But uh, it's been great. And it's been, again, an opportunity to learn very different approaches to, to work and to startups and to companies and to venture capital. So it's been a, a tremendous experience so far. So you're mentoring and investing in companies now? Yeah. Yeah. I've been spending my time mostly advising and consulting for deep tech startups in Europe. I'd say the areas I've uh, been most interested in are brain machine interfaces, which are kind of the future compute paradigm in a lot of ways to the products that I worked on a decade or two prior space tech, synthetic biology, 
Femtech, I think, is a tremendously underserved product area. So working with, with startups out here and with venture capital firms and a little bit of angel investing on the side, but that's not my, my primary passion. And do you see yourself, Steve, coming back, building a brain-computer interface business yourself, or are you happy now helping others build? Well, if, uh, if the opportunity arises to be a part of someone else's vision that I agree with, and that I think is on track and that I feel I can be a, a meaningful contributor towards and in the right capacity, then I'd be more than happy to, to, to play Huckleberry. That being said, when the timing's right and there's an opportunity to be had myself with another company, for example, in the space, I'm definitely open to that as well. Can you bring <laughs> synthetic biology and femtech to the brain-computer interface? That would be a cool gadget. <laughs> You can only do it in space, I'm told. You have to combine all four. Last question, Steve. Voyagers, we help each other out. And it's traditional for people to make an ask to the group as well as an offer to the group. So do you have an ask and an offer? My only ask would be if you if you know of any wonderful people or amazing companies in, in the spaces I mentioned, namely... Brain machine interfaces, synthetic biology, space tech, and femtech. Uh, I'd love to meet them and have a great conversation. And if there's a way I can be helpful, that would be wonderful. And I think that's also my my offer. Is it's a privilege to be here in Europe and see the emerging tech and VC scene. And you know, greatness is in the agency of others. So to the extent that I can help other people do great work, I'd love to, to be a part of it. Steve Jacobs team member, builder of extraordinary devices that we all take for granted, Voyager extraordinaire. Thank you for your time. been a pleasure. Thanks, David. I'm David Rowan. To learn more about the Voyagers community, go to voyagers.io. Maybe you'll even join us. Thank you for listening.